0: Joining us from Ottawa is Post Media columnist Brian Lilly, here to talk about, well, the vaccine rollout and what on earth is going on at the Department of National Defence. Brian Lilly, good morning.
1: A uh, good morning from Toronto this morning.
0: Oh, it's actually. Toronto. So, okay. Uh, good.
1: Uh, I'm in the big smoke tonight.
0: All right. Good to have you with us. And by the way, a few months ago when we talked, I was filling out on one of the other shows. You recommended Bruce Garriock to me, and I have uh, since uh, had a number of conversations on a sporty thing uh, with Bruce, and he's just terrific, Brian, so thank you for that. I appreciate it very much. You, one of uh, the
1: best hockey writers going.
0: He certainly is. Uh, the bow tie killed me on TV. Uh, the, uh, the column you wrote the other day, Risky Plan Could See More more Canadians get jabs sooner uh, really s- struck a note with me because this notion of extending the term beyond the 21 or 28 day recommended uh, distances between the shots by the manufacturers that the, the the, the approach to extending that term began here in British Columbia, Brian. And I've been talking about it for quite some time on the radio here in British Columbia. It is a gamble. It is, uh, they're, they're basically saying we're going to, we're going to favor inoculating a large number of people once rather than a smaller number of uh, people completely twice and that's just a numbers game they appear quite comfortable playing
1: yeah and we have to remember why uh, people like dr bonnie henry and and premier horgan uh, and now premiers and and medical officers across the country are even considering this even with all the extra announcements of increasing deliveries, we do not have enough vaccines to look after the population the way we should. Mm-hmm. Now, Canada remains in the the mid-40s. I know some places say, no, we're 56. I put us about 44th, 45th in the country right now, or sorry, in the world right, right now, in terms of vaccinating our population on a per capita basis. Right. Um, you know, yes, we're getting doses, but we're getting in a week what the Americans use by lunch. And uh, that is a world of difference. And, you know, if people say, well, we can't compare ourselves to the Americans, uh, fine, pick one of the other 40-odd countries ahead of us Mm -hmm. in line. The premiers and the medical officers decided to go this route because they looked at the anxiety in the population, the need for all of us to get back to some semblance of normality, and said, you know what, the single dose gives about a 60% efficacy, Mm -hmm. and we can extend the second dose. That will give more people a a greater uh, amount of protection than they currently have, and we'll catch up with the second dose later. It's not my ideal, but barring a, a sudden influx of tens of millions of doses, not three extra million by June, this is the best that we can come up with. So, you know, between the, the increase that the, uh, the the federal government has and these changes, we can get everyone a first shot by uh, Canada Day yep. or yesterday here in Ontario. They said first day of summer, June 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would prefer if people say 70 and older, still stuck to the, the current regimen, and, and I hope the provinces go in that direction. But, you know, as someone who's uh, still in his 40s and and still pretty healthy, I'm sure I'd be fine with one shot.
0: Sure. Uh, I suppose, though, what what and it's interesting you would address those older demographics, Brian, because if they're and also the fact that the feds who poll without just an, an amazing amount of frequency to the tune of many gazillions of dollars did recognize a, 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 an accelerating degree of anxiety nationwide with respect to the delivery of any vaccines. But then uh, in the middle of all of this and they spent a great deal of time, I suppose that's what's the frustrating part for a lot of older. Canadians Brian they spent a great deal of time about, on the Pfizer the 21 the moderna the 28 I may have those backwards but you know what I mean the education yeah, no, you have them exactly right yeah yep. the the education plan that here's here's what's coming folks and here's what you need to know and here's here's how it's going to work so okay great we, we we did our homework we we were ready and and you know didn't matter which one you got fauci and everybody saying you just take whatever you get whatever they offer you take it it's good so not even that but just uh, and all of a sudden, sudden they moved the goalposts right in the middle of the game and, and and upset a lot of people only because they were they had just sort of come around to recognizing what must be done and what will be done in what sequence and then all of a sudden wait a second no no it's it's changed now and and who's doing who's doing the changing is it the is it the medical scientific crowd maybe okay i can go along with that or is it the vote for me crowd brian in which case i'm really skeptical
1: I have no doubt that there's a lot of politics in here. And, um, you know, I I don't know how Dr. Bonnie Henry is perceived in British Columbia these days. I know that across the country, uh, people look at her as saying, wow, she's the medical officer that got it right. Mm -hmm. Not all the time. You know, they've all had ups and downs and they've made mistakes. and, And I think a lot of people had questions about her saying, oh, it's fine to go to an election. And then she didn't bring in uh, new restrictions and measures until after voting day. Right. You know, was was there politics being played there? Look, there's politics being played here. There is medical advice. Again, I I think that the people who are most impacted by COVID-19 are people over the age of 70, Uh, over the age of 60 to a degree, but definitely over the age of 70, Mm -hmm. and then with underlying health conditions. If you're in any of those categories, I think that you should be getting both doses on the the recommended regimen. Beyond that, people that are healthy and younger, I'm fine with extending it. But again, we're only doing this because there's not enough vaccines, and that's squarely on the federal government.
0: Brian Lilly is our guest. Mr. Lilly is a columnist with the Post Media News Group, writes in all of those sun papers across Canada. Brian is in Toronto today. And, Brian, I want to talk about national defense, but there's another story that you've written extensively about in the past few weeks that we're kicking around as our buzzline question, and it's relating to a guest we're going to have a little later on in the show, pollster Mario Canseco. Uh, his new poll shows, Brian, more Canadians are ready for an elected head of state instead of the monarch, than ever before 45% of us now prefer that option our question and uh it's, it's fun when we get our guests to take a run at our buzzline question so here it is Mr. Lilly should Canada okay. should Canada have an elected head of state instead of an appointed governor general has that time come Brian
1: well I know what the polls say and I haven't seen Mario's uh but always enjoy his work yeah, what he says matches what others are saying in that Canadians are ready to be done with the monarchy, especially after Queen Elizabeth passes. I agree. Uh, And I'm sure lots of your listeners are going to be watching that big interview tomorrow night uh, with Meghan and Ariel. Oh, right, of course, yeah. But, um, you know, for me, it's going to depend on uh, what that looks like if we have to open up our constitution, then I'm very reluctant to change anything because I'm worried about what would come next. Mm -hmm. I look at the way the academics and a lot of media people uh, view how this country should be changed. And I think, Oh, we're going to have a constitution. That's a disaster. Um, I'd like to, you know, we can have the debate, I think, but what I don't want is a bunch of politicians getting together in a room and presenting us with an all-or-nothing solution, kind of like they did, in my view, in Charlottetown and, mm-hmm. and Leech
0: Lake. Okay, so, but the notion isn't, uh, it doesn't it's not off-putting for you, uh, assuming we can get it right.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I've become a reluctant monarchist uh, because I'm afraid of, of what would come next, but yeah. if we were to move to an American-style system... Uh, you know, and we do it right. The Americans actually have more checks and balances in their system than we do. Um, and that's something that appeals to me. Uh, right now, if you win a majority government, um, well, you are an effective dictator and we just have to hope that you're a nice one
0: (laughs) you and and many of our listeners may remember that open mic conversation i believe was in a nato meeting in brussels when chrétien was speaking with bill clinton about this very thing and clinton Mm -hmm. uh, clinton at the time i think was either going into an election or getting ready for one or something and chrétien told him point blank in my in my country the way we govern things i'm absolutely in charge
1: yeah, they, Canadian prime ministers have more power than American presidents True. within their own ho- home, and uh, the fact that we could potentially vote for a president with one party and then fill the uh, the legislature with representatives from another party and not give total control and make them work it out and compromise. I think would appeal to a lot of people.
0: I think so, too. Let's talk national defense for a few minutes. You're writing a fair bit about that these days. Uh, The minister apparently knowing uh, many years, plural, ago about some uh, improprieties alleged against the former CDS, Jonathan Vance. And now we have his replacement, Art McDonald, stepping aside, Brian, after literally a month on the job. Again, this goes back to who made the appointments in the first place. We're talking almost the same issue as the Julie Payette appointment?
1: Well, Jonathan Vance was appointed in the, the waning days of the Harper government. Okay. So the, Stephen Harper and the Conservatives appointed him, but uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals extended Vance's appointment. Uh, they had him stick around longer than he was originally scheduled to Okay, um, as they dealt with issues like the, the Mark Norman trial and as they looked for a replacement so you know if if the Prime Minister knew about this in twenty eighteen, why did he extend Jonathan Vance's term as Chief of defense staff? Mm-hmm. um you know what we know now and and this all coming yep. out due to great reporting by uh, uh my colleague uh former colleague in ottawa mercedes Stevenson uh, of global mm-hmm. yep. uh, you know she broke the story but what we don't know we don't know a lot of the details about the the allegations of sexual misconduct we know broad outlines so we we don't know enough about what Jonathan Vance is alleged to have done right. uh, to know whether it, it you know is damning career ending uh slightly against the rules um we know that the woman did not want to come forward um you know she wasn't interested in pursuing anything but that's all beside the point. And by the way, Vance denies any wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. That's all beside the point when it comes to how the government acted. If the government knew of allegations, then they were required to investigate mm-hmm. and and make a determination. They never did that. Harjit Sejan, the defense minister, was meeting with uh, Gary Walburn, who in March 2018... Uh, Walburn was the military ombudsman at the time. He went to the minister, said, I've got allegations, told the committee, uh, defense committee earlier this week, he reached into his pocket to present the evidence to uh, Minister Sejan. And Sejan pushed back from the table and said, no, he did not want to see it. We know that Sejan's office followed up with Walburn about this. We know that they discussed it with the prime minister's office that the Privy Council was involved. So I don't know how Justin Trudeau and, and Harjit Sejan, uh, who outright lied and said he didn't know about the allegations until the reporting came out. No, he did. They're both trying to use weasel words where they say, we didn't know the specific allegations. Right, right, yeah. Well, that's because you chose not to Not to, to do it,
0: right. You didn't ask.
1: And what, and what your job should have been was to look their job should have been to say, okay, we've heard something's going on, let's look into it, let's have an investigation. Instead, yesterday, the Prime Minister said, I didn't know about the specific allegations until the reporting by Global. Okay, but you knew about something, mm-hmm. and you chose to look away. And then he goes into a big song and dance about how much of a feminist he is, and he's been you know, working on these issues for 30 years. Okay, I, I understand that. But when the time came for you to do something, you looked the other way. And so those words ring hollow for the men and women in the military and, who were expecting something different.
0: Well, and they got something different. They got a new leader. They got Admiral Art McDonald for all of a month. What on earth was that about, Brian?
1: Yeah, I, 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 again, a lack of uh, proper vetting, perhaps. Uh, this. You know, McDonald, it relates to uh, an incident on a ship a decade ago um, involving him and a, a, a female officer and apparently alcohol. Uh-huh. Uh, but we don't know a whole lot more than that. So, yeah, you know, once again, is the government taking this issue seriously? Are they vetting candidates properly or are they going down the Julie Payette room, Um and, and looking the other way when they, they do vetting and see things that maybe should make them look harder at other candidates
0: and you know we, we can go on for for hours about the ability or per, the distinct lack of ability for anybody at national defense to buy anything perhaps beyond staplers and office chairs and even there they're going for the most expensive model they seem to be utter, utterly incapable of providing for the people in uniform and that's the other part of the equation brian recruitment He's- uh numbers are down and uh it, you know it's not the kind of and i mean the tv ads are nice no Question, but it, it doesn't strike me as being the kind of organization that will uplift a new generation into its ranks.
1: You know, the, the numbers being down, it, that, that definitely is disturbing, um, but they've never been able to uh, buy anything. I, and I remember going back to my time in the early 90s as a reservist uh, and hearing the stories of how they were developing a combat bra uh, for female members of the military. And after a bunch of time and money wasted trying to find something, they just said, you know what, ladies, you know what you need better than us. We'll reimburse you for them sure. when you buy them. All right. uh, the only time we've done things right is when we buy off the shelf, like we did with the big uh, uh, lift planes that uh, were purchased in around 06. Uh, we were having trouble getting equipment to and from Afghanistan. That's right, yeah. And at, that, at that point, um, the uh, Prime Minister, Harper, went to the Americans and said, can we get in line ahead of you And the Ameri- uh, with Boeing? And the Americans said, sure, we have lots of these planes. You can have the next three. That's exactly how many we needed. We bought off the shelf. The things worked. Every time, whether it's uh, liberal or conservative government, every time we go into these uh, long, drawn-out procurement processes for the military, Uh, The generals change their minds on what they want Mm. and what is required 15 times, and and it just drives up the cost and nothing is ever built. It it is disgusting that it has taken more than a decade to build ships. We defeated the Nazis while building a navy in shorter time.
0: Yeah, interesting stuff, Brian. I have to leave it there because I'm fresh out of time. I'm grateful for yours. It's good to have you on the program. You're a breath nice of fresh does, air. Yeah. And and uh, we do appreciate you're also participating in the poll on the monarchy thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and you're quite right, I think, with respect to that. And here we have uh, poor old Prince Philip back at the hospital again. He had a procedure the other day, and he's under observation. And we've got the, the grandson uh, and and the the wife on TV tomorrow night. It's it's not uh, unraveling or, or uh, unfolding as perhaps her Her Majesty would have preferred, but some of the byproducts here in the colonies and Barbados is dropping the monarchy next year Uh, and and out in the colonies, uh, these sentiments are starting to run strong. So we thank you for sharing yours with us this morning, Brian, and I look forward to, to another opportunity to speak to you again.
1: All right. Good talking to you, Sterling.
0: Yeah, good pleasure. My pleasure entirely. Brian Lilly joining us from Toronto this morning. You can read his stuff in the Sun newspapers across Canada. So a big announcement over in the city of Surrey within the last couple of weeks, approving, well, what they call the Global Education Center. It has been approved just quite recently by Surrey City Council. It will be one of the tallest buildings in Surrey. It'll be constructed adjacent to the Surrey City Centre Sky station right near Simon Fraser and Quantonen Polytechnic campuses. it's going to be a 49 story tower and it will host five post-secondary schools each occupying a lower floor and Spratshaw College Surrey campus will be the anchor tenant. the top forty three floors or 41 floors residences for the people going to school. Down below. So who's behind all of this? Well, it's a Vancouver company called the CIBT Education Group, one of the largest education and student housing investment companies in Canada. And it's a real pleasure this morning to welcome the chair of the CIBT Education Group, Toby Chu, to the program. Mr. Chu, Toby, good morning and welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, it's very good to have you. You must be just thrilled with this latest approval from the city of Surrey for this uh, new building at Surrey Centre.
2: Yes, it's been uh, three to four years of planning and uh, lots of input by the city and uh, very welcome by all of our neighboring schools and universities because student housing is a big need in that area.
0: It certainly is, and uh, this, but this concept, Toby, of uh, building a tower with uh, the with the the schools and other commercial tenants in the bottom of the tower, and then having the entire tall uh, three quarters or or per- perhaps eighty percent or more of the tower being residential uh, for specifically for the students who are attending all of those post secondary schools in the tower, for the parents of foreign students whom uh, you hope to attract to this tower, this would represent an element of safety and security that I'm sure you've heard about in the past.
2: Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, Vancouver, we're always seeing some, you know, dark and rainy weathers. Uh, we have a lot of international students, yes. but also not to uh, forget about the domestic students, you know, coming across the country from interior provinces and, and, and across Canada coming mm-hmm. to study. So it'll be a great place for them to just take elevator to school instead of taking a train, sky bus, or a Sky train, or walking.
0: Well, you know that there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, the commute to school—well, you're down uh, 20 stories, and there you are at the door. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about your company, Mr. Chu, if you would, please, because you've been around for a while. This is this new uh, global education mega center in Surrey that you, that's just been approved is just one of many projects that your company's involved in. How long have you been around, and what other projects do you have uh, in Vancouver that we would recognize immediately?
2: Uh, We've been around for 28 years. Our DNA originated from the education sector and continue to be uh, the the, uh, education operator, such as Sprockshaw College. Mm Uh, Two of the most uh, sort of prominent buildings are at downtown Vancouver. One is Viva Tower. The other one is GEC Granville. Both of them are on Granville Street and Drake, and then um, Howe Street and Drake. And then along Canby Corridor in Vancouver, all the way on uh, uh, West King Edward Avenue, uh, West 42nd, West 60th Avenue, as well as Marine Gateway. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are always nearby the uh, subway stations. And the model, pretty much, you know, we started with school and then we saw that the demand, rental pricings in Vancouver is crazy, vacancy rate is low. Yes. Uh, so we started that about, uh, seven years ago on the student housing. And from there we expanded now to the education mega center by incorporating the education facilities within the residential facilities so that, you know, just create a convenience and savings for the school and, uh, and, uh, safe, clean and convenient Uh, resident residents for the uh, for the students so it's a win-win for both sides
0: it certainly is and i'm I'm wondering though from the point of view of building uh, this is going to be as i mentioned earlier uh, a 49 story tower it's it's uh, as you say it's been years in the planning the approval has just been granted a couple of questions out of that Uh, first of all what do you anticipate the completion date to be and secondly how much is it going to cost toby
2: yeah, we expect to to complete the the constructions and take possession by about December, late 2024 or early 2025, okay. depending on the construction schedule. About two hundred and seventy million, two seven zero million dollars.
0: And is this private financing, or were you able because it is an education project? Were you able to receive uh, any government assistance in the uh, the financing packaging?
2: Uh, Most of the financing will be done through private financing, commercial lending, and uh, uh, charter banks. Uh, We are talking to CMHC for possibility for the rental component. Uh, Those are work in in progress.
0: Okay. So, again, there might be some consideration there, but it wasn't ever intended to be a government-dependent project ever, was it?
2: Uh, no, it isn't because you know SFU is across the street. Kwamlin's across the street. Obviously, we will have a lot of their students living with
3: us. Sure, uh,
2: but because we also have a commercial component, and then we have some private colleges at the lower floor, uh, so we're keeping our options open.
0: I'm just curious. I need to take a break, but I'm curious about this with the pandemic uh, uh, really dominating our our thought processes. And I'm sure to some extent, Mr. Chu, your planning process, for example, the student or the residential housing component that will be such a huge part of this project in Surrey. uh, uh, did, Did you have to modify the housing arrangements at all from your original plan to what they are now based on the arrival of the pandemic? that I, did that impact your planning process?
2: Uh, a little bit uh, because we, we do have a large number of international students with us. However, um, we turns, it turns out that a lot of international students also are not leaving the country mm-hmm. because of, of the pandemic at their home country. Uh, and the domestic also really increased a lot of our Canadian student residents because they' you know, they're here anyways. Uh, we thought that oh, online may be taking over a lot of the future uh, campus requirement. As it turns out, you know, the, 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 the learning experience must incorporate the interaction of students and stu- other students and the teachers. Uh, so that didn't change. Right, right. Uh, so some plan was, was modified, but uh, no, ma- the majority of our plan remains consistent.
0: Here's a striking number for you. An estimated 642,000 foreign students contribute over $22 billion to the Canadian economy every year. Over 100,000 of them are studying here on the Lower Mainland. There are hundreds of public and private post-secondary schools in Metro Vancouver. And the most recent to at least receive approval to go forward and be built is the new Global Education Mega Center. It'll be the first fully integrated student housing and school complex. It's being put together and built by the CIBT Education Group, whose chairman Toby Chu is with us this morning. And Toby, you talked about we were talking about the pandemic and before the break and how it may or may not have affected your planning, and it didn't much, uh, but it did. Uh, it has certainly taught the education industry a few lessons. For example, uh, student. You talked about the student experience and students what uh, students want a post-secondary experience. They want in-person. They want something more than a a, a disconnected series of video conferences. That really matters, doesn't it?
2: Uh, Yes, it does. Like uh, When we do online shopping, obviously it's convenient, but you still want to feel and touch the goods. It makes more so like uh, tourism, hospitality, uh, you know, doing an online visit to Paris is quite different than going to Paris. Sure. So education is even even more intense than that.
0: Well, it certainly is, especially for a young person and especially for that time of your life when the experience uh, is really a big part of it. And, and this has nothing to do with anything, but the fact that there are some Canadian post-secondary educations contemplating charging their students more after the, giving them a year of essentially nothing is a little stunning. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you plan uh, for the new education mega center. For example, you say there are five post-secondary schools already committed to being in the building, Toby. Is there still room for more, or are you already full?
2: Uh, well, with the five floors, all we can accommodate. Uh, this is the first Big project, and we want to be conservative. That's why we only allocated five floors. So each floor will be one school, and okay. that will be the five schools.
0: Okay. And so that would that's that's the plan, and and uh, the rest of the plan includes commercial and retail, and and of course accommodation being the lion's share of the rest, right? Correct. Yeah, because of the demand of student housing within that uh, area. How many people uh, will actually be able to live in the student component of this tower? How many apartments and how many humans will it accommodate?
2: Well, the total number of occupants, including students and uh, uh, workers within the area, even faculty staff, uh, because Surrey Business Development Corp. of uh, Surrey Central. Uh, Development Corp is building this big 1.5 million square feet of office facilities way across the street, like literally 15, 20 meters from us. Okay, We expect a a high number of renters uh, coming from there as well. So we're 982 occupants, including 112 studio units and some one-bedroom, two-bedrooms among the uh, 40 residential
0: floors. So now, will the uh, renter? Uh, you are talking about renters. You are anticipating a lot of demand for rentals uh, in that new tower. Uh, will there be a provision, though? For example, suppose I am in Singapore and I want to come to the Sprott College Surrey campus and I want to live in that building. Uh, if I sign up for the school program uh, and I, I request accommodation, is that a, is that a gimme? Well, because I am a foreign student in that purpose designed building, will I be given priority as a renter?
2: Uh, no, actually, you will be a first-come, first-served. Uh-huh. And uh, we work with those schools across the street as well as within our building. Uh, so, you know, whatever the demand is, and, and that's where we go, we have to keep it as open as possible, whether it's foreign, domestic workers, or, or families, or, or faculty staff with, you know, with their, with their spouse. So
0: we're open to all public. And what do you know about the demand? I mean, you've been working on this project. It involves hundreds of millions of dollars and years of planning. What can you tell us this morning about the demand that you, uh, you realistically anticipate already?
2: Well, we know for a fact that the SFU Surrey campus and Kwantlen Polytechnic Surrey Central campus, both of them do not. Provide any housing, mm-hmm. so that's about ten thousand students, of estimate, uh, across the street. Not to mention within our own building of the five schools, uh, and then of course rental has always been a big issue in the Metro Vancouver area, running at about two point six percent up uh, uh, vacancy rate. Uh, so that's just basically it's the market it's uh it's a, a huge shortage of rental, even though because of the pandemic it did improve a bit uh as soon as all these people get get back to work three and a half years down the road uh and the and the development permit for rental has like was down thirty percent during the pandemic uh so it's just a matter of time that two point six percent vacancy rate would drop again to maybe within one to to two percent again exactly so this meant to there.
0: Yeah, this represents a fairly low-risk investment. I'm, I'm sure that attracting investors to a project like this must be fairly easy, is it?
2: Yeah, we've uh, actually, you know, our existing lenders for other projects already expressed their interest and say, hey, you know, we're dealing with your, your all other buildings. We have uh, 16 other buildings in operation sure. or under construction. So, you know, for them to step up and they understand it, they understand exactly what we're doing.
0: Well, that's wonderful stuff, and we wish you considerable success, Toby Chu. You've just been approved. There is still not even a shovel in the ground, but it's still a tremendously exciting project. We thank you for uh, bringing us up to speed on it so the rest of us around Metro Vancouver get a feel as to what's coming, and we'll talk again as, as it goes forward. Thanks this morning. Thank you very much. There's Toby Chu, the chairman of the CIBT Education Group, talking about the new global education center in Surrey. We move on to talk about something called, uh, it's a grant-based company, and it's called Grant Me. and they have five tips to finance your education in 2021. Here to talk about it is Madison Guy, founder and COO of Vancouver-based GrantMe. Madison Guy, good morning and welcome to the program.
4: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's great to have you with us. Tell us about Grant Me, Madison. Who are you, and how long have you been around?
4: Sure. So um, I started GrantMe in 2017, and that was actually my last semester at UBC. Okay. Um, and basically the premise of, of GrantMe was uh, really supporting myself through school and finding scholarships and awards that I was eligible for. So um, we started in 2017, and initially it was just like a, a one-to-one service. And then eventually we built um, a technology platform, which now matches students to scholarships, support students with university applications. And um, pretty soon we're also going to be matching students with internships and jobs as
0: well. So, you started in 2017. Here you are four uh, school years later. How about demand? How popular have you become in that short period of time?
4: Yeah, so we've grown uh, about 300% every single year since we started, and now we're working with over 2,500 students last year um, across Canada, and we're Um, yeah, we're not just based in BC, we are working with students all across Canada. So a lot of growth, our team has grown,
0: and it's been really exciting. I'll bet it has. Uh, The the website, friends, is grantme, one word, grantme.ca. And if you flip around through there, you'll find things like this. Despite hundreds of millions of dollars in scholarships and awards available, students in Canada still graduate with an average $26,000 in student debt. Madison, when you graduated UBC... What was your student debt?
4: I graduated with zero debt and i was and I was really lucky and that was the honestly the main motivation for um, for supporting other students with taking advantage of all of the funding options that are available to students I think there's so many resources out there, but it can be so challenging for students to navigate. So um, I think it's possible for other students to do the same thing. They just need to, you know, have access to those resources to make it possible.
0: When we're coming out of high school, there are uh, we are made aware of the fact in our senior high school year that there are indeed uh, bursaries and scholarships and grants available to high school students who want to go forward into some kind of post-secondary environment, and that for many students, frankly. Madison is the last time they hear anything about grants and scholarships and bursaries, and that's in their, their last year of high school when they may or may not follow up and apply for one or more. Why do you think there's such a fallout of interest for all that free money?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, well, I think there's two parts to it. I think when students get into grade 12, there's there's so many different things going on um, from graduation to, you know, keeping their grades high to applying to different universities that I think scholarships end up falling um, to be the last thing that they're thinking about. And okay. the ch- the challenging part, like I said, is that it can be really difficult to navigate. Um, but the second thing, and I think the most common misconception, is that once you graduate grade 12, there isn't any other scholarships available mm-hmm. as university students. Um, and that's you know absolutely not true because there is so many different scholarships that you can be applying to all the way through to you know, a master's program or a graduate program. So um, I think really students just aren't aware of those opportunities.
0: I believe you Uh, more than anything else. I quite agree with you. I just don't think they know about how to relieve some of that financial pressure. So are most of these available grants uh, government money or are they private foundation money? What's the source of the loot?
4: Yeah, so I would definitely say that most of them are private. So coming from, you know, small businesses, nonprofits, larger corporations, and those are really the ones that students don't know about. Right. um, And the ones that are really hard to navigate often. And then there's also, you know, awards coming through the university directly, right? So if you're applying to a university um, in your grade 12 year, there's going to be entrance scholarships available, Mm -hmm. but there's also faculty scholarships that you can be applying to throughout your undergraduate degree as well. So um, it's a combination of all all 3 I would say um but there's definitely a lack of applications coming for some of those third party private
0: scholarships that are available and, and that's part of what grant me is all about is there's it's, it's as i understand it it's a sort of a two-fold purpose to this whole thing madison a education hey look what's out there holy cow and b the all-important connection that's what you've done uh, since you first started this as as almost a referral outfit you've now become a very high tech platform that connects students to available cash right
4: yeah, yeah, that's ex- that's exactly it. And I think we're, you know, we feel really fortunate because we've really been able to learn from our students over the years to, to what that platform should look like and how we can best support them with um, looking at those opportunities. So that's exactly it. It started just as a really like a consultation and, and service. And I was sitting down with students all over the Lower Mainland one-to-one and then um, eventually, we were able to leverage technology to, to build a platform to um, help students across Canada.
0: So what sort of volume of business are you doing now? You said you uh, you put a team together. You've got this whole website thing going on, lots of technology happening. What's, uh, uh, talk to us about the evolution of the company.
4: Yeah, so um, our team has grown to almost uh, almost 50 employees is what we're at now. And um, we're based in Vancouver, but I think in the future, we we hope to be in Toronto as well, like with an actual physical office. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what's been really interesting for us is the, the platform itself and the technology is what has allowed us to scale, but we still think that um, you know, offering connection and community in person and really building a community around the platform is really important. So I think, um, you know, post COVID and, and once it's safe to do so, we're really excited about bringing, you know, students, families, um, the counselors that we work with, um, folks like that together. To to run workshops and to really build community around um, around what we're doing, and so I think that'll be the next evolution of of what we build, and we're really excited about that.
0: Well, indeed, uh, and we were just talking uh, in our last half hour with the chairman of this uh, new company that's building the global education mega center out there by uh, Surrey's uh, Simon Fraser and uh, KPU campuses, right near the Surrey Central SkyTrain station, forty nine tower building, Madison, five post secondary schools on the bottom floors. Housing for all the students on the top 41, interesting uh, concept, hugely expensive, again, private money, believing in the future. Uh, And I'm curious, though, about uh, the one thing that came up in the conversation, and I'm coming back to you on this one as well. Uh, There are schools— Canadian universities, post-secondary schools this year contemplating a fee increase after having nothing to offer their students short of video conferencing for the past year. I find that unimaginable and beyond cheeky. What's your take on that?
4: Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, we've definitely heard the conversation about that. And obviously, I mean, to be honest, like it's already a really challenging time for students. Mm -hmm. I think that the more that universities can be doing to support them, um, the better, and I think in in some ways universities have done that. They have created um, you know university emergency bursary funds for students for uh, for COVID nineteen, so that students can have access to funds that they need it. So if you are a student, I definitely recommend that you look at that. But I mean, yeah, I definitely think the easier we can make it for students right now, the better, um, and not just for students, for families, right? Because sure. there's obviously folks that you know have lost jobs, and it, it can be a really challenging time. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say I agree
0: with you for sure. Okay, now let's go back to the the good stuff. Finding out about the free money. Where do they – So, if, if a, does a person go to grantme.ca, Madison, and is there a sign up process by which you identify yourself and and your your uh, your educational path and, uh, and plans, aspirations, all of that? And and uh, how do you inquire about what What do I qualify? What's out there for me?
4: Yeah, so you can actually go to our website and you can actually create a free account. And from that free account, um, you can look at, well, first you create a profile. So that profile, things like your, um, you know, your name, the school that you go to, what Mm -hmm. you're interested in studying, volunteer activities. And then from there, um, once you create a free account, you're able to view and look at the different scholarship opportunities that are available to you. And most of those scholarships are going to be scholarships that likely you haven't seen before, because like I said, they are the, the third party scholarships and the ones that often can be challenging for students to find. So um, students can head to grantme.ca to do
0: that. Interesting stuff. Well, uh, it, it sounds like the business is booming and I couldn't be happier for you, Madison. Thanks so much for doing this with us this morning and thumbs up and continued success to you all.
4: Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having
0: me on. It's our pleasure entirely. There's Madison Guy from grantme.ca. She is the founder, co-founder and COO. Again, the address, check it out. Free money for students, grantme.ca. Again, it's just sitting there. Go for it. And a new poll has found that the desire among Canadians to drop the monarchy is at the highest level recorded in the past 12 years here to flesh this out is the president of research company always a pleasure to welcome mario canseco to the airwaves of cknw mario good morning Good morning, Sterling. Great to be here with you. It's good to have you with us. And here we have a poll on the office of Governor General, and we have two examples in our most recent memory, Julie Payette and her predecessor, David Johnson. Julie Payette turns out to have been a bit of a disaster. David Johnson, on the other hand, Mario, was probably the, the dictionary definition of the perfect Governor General. So we've seen both ends of the spectrum. Did the, did the findings surprise you at all?
5: Well, there's definitely a situation here where what we've seen over the past few months has played a role in the way Canadians are feeling about the monarchy. It's not just the situation with the governor general and uh, the allegations of uh, abuse in the workplace. It's also the fact that because of COVID-19, we haven't had any royal visits. Uh, We have a lot of people who are watching uh, the Netflix television series The Crown, which is now talking about a more contemporary monarchy. And I think that's one of the reasons that is making Canadians rethink their relationship um, with the monarchy to a level that we've never seen before. You know, I've been asking this question since 2009. And mm-hmm. this year, this, uh, just last month, it's the highest level that we've recorded, 45% of Canadians who say that they would like to have a Canadian Elected as their head of state.
0: Interesting. So that uh, 45% of us a few weeks ago said that uh, we would prefer that. A year ago, when you asked the same question, what was the number then?
5: It was only 32%. Uh-huh. We had a situation.
0: What's interesting about this year, when
5: you look at the numbers, is we moved uh, from a lot of Canadians who were sort of wishy-washy on this issue. I don't really care that much. Right. Uh, it's not something that that is uh, deeply affecting me. Many Canadians who are on that group are moving to the group that say, well, maybe it makes sense to have a Canadian elected as her head of state. And it's definitely complicated because of the timing of things. Um, We see a significantly high favorability rating for Queen Elizabeth. Even people who don't like the
3: monarchy
5: have a favorable view of her. We don't see the same numbers with Prince Charles. Uh, his numbers are fairly low. Only 41% of Canadians who have a favorable view of him compared with 70% for Queen Elizabeth. Right. And even people who like the monarchy don't think that he should be the next king. You know, there's more support among Canadians and among Canadians who like the monarchy for Prince William. So figuring out a way to change this tide with somebody as unpopular as Prince Charles, it's going to be quite complicated. It
0: is interesting, too, that uh, the timing of all of this, because we've got this big uh, Netflix uh, interview, uh, d- the Netflix deal with Oprah Winfrey's production company is netting some serious cash for Meghan and Harry. And, of course, they're about to do this tell-all interview tomorrow uh, uh, with Oprah Winfrey. I think, more than anything else, bring, bringing a level of disrespect to the royal family, to, uh, to the public airwaves... That I, I've never seen before, and I don't imagine that's helping the esteem of the royal family anywhere around the world, even in Commonwealth countries, Mario.
5: Well, it's definitely not going to help. I think it definitely places uh, the, royal, the, the royal family and certain elements of the royal family in a negative light. That being said, I understand the frustration from those who say, if you want privacy, if you want to start your life again, if you want to be independent and build a career for yourself in the United States, having an interview with Oprah Winfrey is probably not going to give you that privacy. So there's also <laughs> a little bit of criticism there. No kidding. When it comes to the behavior of Harry and Nate. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think so, and, but it is it is complicating the mix a little bit, and, and of course, the the decision uh, with uh, the the Trudeau government to abandon the, the vetting process that uh, the Harper government had previously put into place, he came along and said, well, that's a conservative thing. It couldn't possibly be a good idea, and they threw it out. So when it came time for the next governor general, there wasn't that carefully constructed advisory committee to submit a short list, do all the vetting homework, and then come up with someone that could be agreed upon by pretty much everyone and so ultimately he wears this decision personally and it's not looking good on him or the office mario and that's the other part isn't it
5: well that is definitely problematic i think if you look back at the history of governors general uh the ones who are the least noticeable so to speak are the ones who are successful yeah this is not an office where you're supposed to be some sort of globe trotting star. You know, it's not the kind of situation where you want to find somebody with the profile of somebody like Julie Payette. Uh, It seemed like a good idea at the time, but now we've seen that it's not something that worked out very well. And it's complicated. You know, you're looking for somebody who can fill that role. And I think part of this has to do with the fact that Some of our last governors general uh, were media personalities, uh, two who worked for the CBC for Mm -hmm. that matter. So maybe they were looking for somebody who could do that. But with a prime minister like Justin Trudeau, you don't need somebody like Julie Payet to go out there and speak about Brand Canada. You needed somebody who could do things fairly differently. And I think that is the example that we have with the former governor general under Stephen Harper. You know, he was somebody who was universally respected and liked. Yeah because he wasn't seeking the spotlight.
0: Exactly. Uh, Just a few seconds left here. Uh, In terms of the choices Canadians have made, according to your poll, it's not about abandoning the office, it's about Canadianizing the office, isn't it?
5: Yes, that is definitely part of it. I think we see a lot of people... Um, who look at the examples we have in Europe, for instance, where certain countries have moved away from a monarchy and have decided to have a specific president who gets elected. Right. Maybe not in the same way as France, but if you're looking at other countries where they have that office, such as Italy, okay, this is the person who's going to go cutting the ribbon. Right. He's not going to be in charge of the government, and that's fine. So I think that's definitely what we're seeing at this particular stage. But it has a lot to do with the year we've had. In a year, with more visits, with certain things going differently, maybe the numbers will shift. But, you know, this was an eye opener for me. I wasn't expecting a 13 point increase in desire to drop the monarchy.
0: Well, it's no question that it really is quite a dramatic increase. Mario, thanks for your, uh, your joining us again this morning. We had some uh, Vancouver opinions, no doubt that you heard uh, just before coming on. It's, it's a controversial subject and it's not going to go away. We appreciate your update for us this morning. My pleasure, Sterling. Anytime. Research Co. is the name of Mario's company, and you can find all the details on the monarchy and all the other polls that are current. It's an excellent resource website.